2: that song
1: I love that
2: song I'm in love with that song mm, I love that song I love that song I'm in love with that song I love that song I'm in love with that song
0: Friends and neighbors from around the world welcome to the 100th episode of the I'm in love with that song podcast 100 episodes, that's something. I'm your host, Brad Page, coming to you on the Pantheon Podcast Network with a special 100th episode edition where we're going to ponder a question that's been on my mind. Whatever happened to the instrumental hit song? Back in the day, instrumental songs with no lyrics were commonplace and there were many of them that were number one hit records. Once upon a time, the charts were littered. With instrumentals. But when was the last time you heard an instrumental that topped the charts? Sure, there's some genres, electronic music, techno, dubstep, the rave scene, where instrumental music is a lot more common. But those are niches to varying degrees. I'm talking about songs that reached a broader, bigger audience. Top 10 hits on the Billboard Hot 100 chart now i'm going to say right up front that i have no idea what the answer is to this question i don't know why people don't seem to be interested in instrumentals anymore but i think it's an interesting fact and worth taking a look back at the history the rise and the decline of the hit instrumental song First, let's define instrumentals. When I'm referring to instrumentals here, it doesn't strictly mean that there are no vocals or voices at all, but just that there aren't really any song lyrics other than some chanting or just repeating the song title. Now, the Billboard Hot 100 is an all-genre chart, kind of the chart of charts and is considered to be the industry standard. If you care about that kind of thing which personally I don't, but it gives us a roadmap to follow, so let's just go with it. The first Billboard Hot 100 chart was published in August 1958, and since then, there have been hundreds of instrumentals that cracked the top 20, 25 of them that reached number one. In fact, three legendary instrumentals predated the Hot 100. Tequila by the Champs, was released in January 1958, and I love the muted, plucky guitar part at the beginning here. Just a couple of months later, Link Ray would release Rumble, one of the most influential instrumentals of all time. The guitar sound may not seem so wild and heavy today, but at the time it was one of the most raucous, distorted guitar tones ever laid down. The song was considered so subversive, it's the only instrumental in history that was banned from US radio. 1958, legendary guitarist Dwayne Eddy who pioneered the twangy guitar sound had his breakthrough hit with Rebel Rouser. The use of both tremolo and very heavy reverb effects on the guitar along with playing a semi-hollow body guitar with a Bigsby vibrato arm is what gives Dwayne Eddy that distinctive guitar sound. By 1959, the Billboard Hot 100 was in full swing. And so we can see there were eight instrumental songs that year that reached the top 20, including one of my favorite instrumentals ever, Sleepwalk by Santo and Johnny, which hit number one in July 1959. November 1959 saw the release of Theme from a Summer Place by Percy Faith. By February 1960, it was the number 1 song in the country. It would go on to spend 9 weeks at number 1, making it the longest-running number 1 instrumental in history. Now, theme from a summer place is decidedly not a rock song, but I think it's worth noting that it's the first big instrumental that would set a trend going forward, especially in later years, of instrumentals that came from a movie or TV show. And the success of those songs, they're directly connected to the popularity of the film or the show. I don't think the song would have been a hit if the show wasn't a hit. The summer of 1960 brought us this first hit from The Ventures, probably the most successful instrumental band of all time. That's a song called Walk Don't Run. Also in 1960, Floyd Kramer's Last Date made it to number two. This is such a great melody. I fell in love with this song because Emmylou Harris recorded a great version of it with vocals. I realize I digress here, but I'm never going to get a chance to play this song on this show. So here's an excuse to play a little bit of Emmylou Harris's version. By the summer of 1961, we had the first hit from The Marquees, who were made up of some of the studio musicians at Stax Records. They recorded many classic instrumentals, but their first hit was their biggest a track called Last Night. Jumping ahead to 1962, this isn't a rock song, but I couldn't not play it. A number one smash from April 1962. It's David Rose and his orchestra with The Stripper. Yes, that song was a number one hit. There were quite a few big instrumentals in 1962, including Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass with The Lonely Bull, and the song that launched a guitar legend, Miserloo by Dick Dale. <laughs> According to legend, a fan challenged Dick Dale to play a song using only one string on his guitar, and he responded with this song, an old tune he knew through his Lebanese heritage. He turned it into one of the most iconic guitar parts in history. Okay, now here's a trivia question for you. What was the first British band to score a number one hit on the Billboard chart? You're probably thinking it was the Beatles. I mean, honestly, that'd be my first guess. But actually, the first band from the UK to have a number one hit on Billboard was the Tornadoes in 1962 with Telstar an Instrumental. And also in 1962, maybe the most famous instrumental of all time Booker T and the MG's Green Onions. 1963 gave us two surf music classics, Wipeout by the Safaris, which we heard at the top of the show, and Pipeline by the Chantays. Both songs are prime examples of that surf guitar sound, a bright, clean guitar tone drenched in reverb. And in the case of Pipeline, there's a tremolo effect on there as well. <laughs> But the Pacific Coast wasn't the only place generating great guitar-based instrumentals. In 63, a guitarist named Lonnie Mack came roaring out of the Midwest with two killer tracks, an instrumental version of Chuck Berry's Memphis and a smokin' original called Wham! Lonnie Mack would influence many guitar players, especially Stevie Ray Vaughan. Let's listen to just Lonnie's guitar part, see if you can hear what Stevie Ray borrowed from Lonnie. In 1965, there was one of the most unusual instrumental hits ever. A song based on a jingle for Alka-Seltzer called No Matter What Shape Your Stomach's In. Here's the commercial.
2: No matter what shape your stomach's in, when
1: it gets out of shape, take Alka-Seltzer.
0: Alka-Seltzer relieves the flutters. Calms the nervous feeling relieves heartburn,
1: relieves the stuffy feeling, and relieves a headache better than
2: any other antacid.
0: And here's the hit instrumental version by the T-Bones that made it to number three on the Hot 100. 1966, the Marquettes hit with their version of the Batman theme. The Bob Crew generation scored with "Music to Watch Girls By," and the Bar-Ks released their stone cold classic "Soul Finger." Before the 60s were over, we were gifted with The Good, Bad, and the Ugly, another tune from a soundtrack. There was Mason Williams with Classical Gas, remember that one? And the great Hugh Masakela with Grazing in the Grass. <laughs> Like more cowbell? Well, there you go. The Ventures had a hit with their version of the theme from Hawaii 5 Booker T and the MGs continued their run of hits with Hang Em High and Time Is Tight. And the Young Holt Unlimited made it to number three with Soulful Strut. Check out the massive bass guitar tone on this one. Now, if that sounds familiar, you may know the song by a different name. It was originally released the same year as a vocal song by Barbara Acklin. It was called Am I the Same Girl? Out Sister had a hit with a remake of that track in
1: 1992. The same girl you used to know?
0: So, that was the 1960s. There were over 90 instrumentals that made the charts between 1960 and 1969. That was the high point of the instrumental. Beginning in the 1970s, we see a decline in the number of instrumental hits. The first instrumental to crack the top ten in the 1970s was Scorpio by guitarist Dennis Coffey. It reached number six in October 1971. This is not from the film Scorpio. That movie didn't come out until 1973. This song would eventually be sampled by dozens of hip-hop artists, including Public Enemy and LL Cool J. The song opens with a guitar riff that's actually nine different guitar parts layered on top of each other. 1972 saw a handful of great instrumentals, starting with Billy Preston's Out of Space, which reached number two on the charts in April 72. Billy Preston is, of course, most famous for his keyboard work on the Beatles' Let It Be album. Here, he delivers a killer performance on clavinet, played through a wah-wah pedal. Also charting in 1972 was Dueling Banjos from the movie Deliverance and Rock and Roll Part 2 by Gary Glitter, which, given what we now know about Gary Glitter, I am not going to play it. Another instrumental hit from 1972 was Popcorn by Hot Butter, which may be the single most annoying instrumental on this list, so I'm not playing that one either. Let's jump ahead to February 1973 Hocus Pocus by Focus. Also, starting in 1973, we start to see the first big chart success of disco, including two number one hit instrumentals the Love Unlimited Orchestra with Love's Theme and MFSB with TSOP. M.F.S.B. stood for Mother, Father, Sister, Brother. T.S.O.P. was short for The Sound of Philadelphia. In 1974, the average white band released Pick Up the Pieces. Maybe my favorite instrumental of all time? I don't know. It's up there. It reached number one in the Hot 100 in February 1975. But by then, their brilliant drummer, Robbie McIntosh, had died from an accidental heroin overdose. Also charting in 1975, was a funky instrumental with disco overtones, Express by BT Express. It reached number four on the charts. Nice little fuzz guitar break in the middle. There were a few more instrumental hits in 1975, too. That old disco favorite, The Hustle, and two more TV show theme songs. The theme from The Rockford Files, which reached number 10, and the theme from SWAT made it all the way to number one. (coughs) That version was by a band called Rhythm Heritage. They dipped into the theme song well again for their second hit in 1976, that time for their version of the theme to Beretta. That single only made it as far as number 20. As a side note, singer Mary Clayton, one of our favorite singers here on the I'm In Love With That Song podcast, also released her version of that same song as a single a year earlier, but that only reached number 45. There were two other big instrumental hits in 76 that couldn't be more different from each other. Walter Murphy had a number one hit with a disco version of A Fifth of Beethoven, and Barry Dvorzon and Perry Botkin Jr. reached number eight with Nadia's Theme, a mushy piano ballad that became associated with Olympic gymnast Nadia Comaneci. 1977 had four top 20 instrumentals, but they were all from movie soundtracks. Gonna Fly Now, the theme from Rocky. John Williams hit gold twice, with the theme from Star Wars and the theme from Close Encounters. And lest we forget, there was the disco version of the theme from Star Wars by Miko, which made it to number one. This version by Miko, his real name is Domenico Minardo is the only instrumental to be certified platinum, selling over 2 million copies. The song is featured on the album Star Wars and Other Galactic Funk, which actually sold more copies than the original movie soundtrack. (laughs) ¶¶ There was only one top 20 instrumental in 1978, Chuck Mangione's Feels So Good. The song was edited down to be a three-minute single, but the album version is over nine minutes long. And I know this song probably defines soft jazz, which a lot of people hate, but you gotta give it up for guitarist Grant Geisman, who cuts loose with a great guitar solo. Here it is. only one instrumental hit in 1979 as well, Rise by Herb Alpert, but that didn't make it to number one. So to sum up the 70s, there were 40-something instrumentals on the Hot 100. Now remember, back in the 60s, there were over 90, so that's a pretty big drop-off, less than half. Moving into 1980, both Chuck Mangione and Miko returned to the charts But both of their instrumentals stalled at number 18, which is an interesting coincidence. 1981, the Royal Philharmonic made it to number 10 with Hooked On Classics. And there were two more theme songs: The Theme to Hill Street Blues and Chariots of Fire by Vangelis. Clearly, you can see the trend here. By this point, the only instrumentals to get on the charts are theme songs from TV shows or movies. There was nothing in 1986, and then one in 1987, a number 4 hit by Kenny G called Songbird. There was one hit in 1988 by Kenny G again, Silhouette. And one in 1989, Swing the Mood by Jive Bunny and the Master Mixers. That is it for instrumental hits in the 80s. So, 90-plus instrumental hits in the 60s, 40 in the 70s, and only 11 in the 80s, and six of those were theme songs. So you can see where things are heading. From here on out, it's slim pickings. 1991, Dave Stewart from the Eurythmics and saxophonist Candy Dulfer reached number one with their title song from the movie, Lily Was Here. It is nice to see a woman with a hit instrumental. Kenny G is back with Forever in Love in 1992, then skip ahead to 1996 when Adam Clayton and Larry Mullen from U2 had a hit with their version of the Mission Impossible theme. 1999, Kenny G strikes again, this time with Auld Lang Syne, The Millennium Mix. And in 2002, he returns with a new version called Auld Lang Syne, The Freedom Mix, What is it with all the Kenny G? That would be it for 10 years, until Harlem Shuffle was released in 2012, eventually making it all the way to number one in February 2013. And there hasn't been a big instrumental hit since. So to sum it all up, there were over 90 hit instrumentals in the 60s, 40 in the 70s, 11 in the 80s, four in the 90s, and only one in the last 20 years. As to why, your guess is as good as mine. When I look back at those original instrumentals, they were fun. Some of them are pretty dumb, but they're all fun. And some of them are legitimately great. I miss those goofy instrumentals. Thanks to all of you who listen for making these 100 episodes possible. As I've said before, this show is the proverbial tree falling in the forest without you to hear it. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate all of you for being a part of this show. We're all friends here, so join the gang over on Facebook. Just search for the I'm in love with that song podcast and you'll find us there. Follow the show and write a review on Podchaser. That's probably the best place to leave a review or comment. Of course, All 99 of our previous episodes can be found on our website, lovethatsongpodcast.com. And if you love music and podcasts about music, you should check out the other shows on the Pantheon Podcast Network. Whatever bands or artists you're into, I'm sure you'll find more shows on Pantheon that you'll connect with. I'll be back in two weeks to begin our journey into the next 100 episodes. Now, some of you may have noticed that there was one instrumental that was conspicuously left off of this episode. And that's because that song will be our featured song next episode, number 101. I'll see you then.